0: I speak, my sister Simone felt like she was really uh, getting something from the Lord to share with us this morning, so I wanted to honor that because that's what we do here. We make room for that. So, all right, Simone, you gave me a chance to get my stuff organized.
1: (laughs) So, what does nothing look like, right? Um, We had a a, a young man living with us one time, and um, his biggest treasure was this old motorcycle. I mean, he wore that thing out. He wouldn't uh, repair. I mean, he got stranded. But that was his only... Yeah, he had a car, a work car, but that was his treasure. I mean, it was a rust bucket in my eyes. But he loved that thing. And then, lo and behold, I mean, he would never give it up. I mean, we know this thing. And then, true story, he met a woman. And he needed the money for an engagement ring. And all of a sudden, that Old rust bucket turned into an engagement ring overnight. And we were like, that's love. And sometimes the things you hold on to that keep the the, the big thing in your life, right, is nothing but an old rust bucket motorcycle. And if you are willing to give that up, it could be an addiction. He was like, he wouldn't live without that thing. It could be something pretty, something beautiful. Maybe your soulmate—that you know. Guess what? Rust bucket. Nothing. It's worth nothing compared to the knowledge, the complete knowledge of God. That man now has a family. He's got he has got babies. He's got kids. You know, he's got ministry going. But I believe that that couldn't start until he was willing to give up this little rust bucket of a treasure. That was his treasure, and I encourage you. I encourage you today, give up your rust bucket. It could be a guitar that you really love, but somebody in the mission field could use 50 bucks. You know, I'm just saying. All right, well. That's so good.
0: That is so good. The Lord is so creative and good. Today, I have a message that uses a football analogy to talk about love. Come on. (laughs) For those of you who don't understand what that means, Valentine's Day is on Wednesday, (laughs) and today's the Super Bowl, so if I have to explain my joke, I guess it's not that good of a joke. (laughs) So... But I wasn't trying to do that. I was not trying to do that. I did want to read when Simone said this. this is, I wrote this down in Philippians three. It says, "But whatever things were, but whatever things were gained to me, whatever rust buckets were of value to me, whatever things were gained to me, those things I now counted as loss." For the sake of Christ. Isn't it interesting what happens when love comes into your life? I've been asking myself this question. The word that we got for this year, the whole Pictionary story, man, I've been chewing on that. The whole get grounded in love. Heard this, and I've been asking the Lord. I agree, yes, but why? Why is why is it so important that we be grounded in love? Nobody was nobody would argue the fact that that's not scriptural or it's not good. But why? Why is it so important to be grounded, to be rooted, to be established in love? And then. The next question that comes from there came, What does it even mean to be loved by God? Is it like Valentine's kind of love times like a thousand or something, times a million, times a billion? Like, is that what we're talking about? Like, he's really times a million, really fond of us? What does it mean to be loved by God? And then I, the next thing it brought to my mind was, well, what does it even mean for me to love God? And it's pretty wild that we're singing about this, the love of God. And um, I was this just hit me a second ago, and this, this is all going to make sense eventually, I hope. <laughs> I heard this guy talking, and there's no way I don't think to prove this. but there's a chance he was saying that the time that Adam lived and the time that Enoch lived would have overlapped each other. They were saying that, this might hurt some of your brains theologically, but he made a case for why it was possible. And what the conversation would have been like when Adam and Enoch might have chatted somewhere along a road or something. And Adam begins to describe to Enoch what life was like before the fall. (laughs) Telling him, what was it like before you and Eve ate that fruit? Let me tell you how it was. I don't know why that certain things, like I tell my wife that story. She was like, that sounds like snooze fest to me. I don't want to hear <laughs> But I could just like sit there and chew on that and write and journal about that thought of being able to hang out with Enoch. I mean, with Adam and tell me the stories of what it was like before the fall, and as we were up here on stage, I felt like it is that story came to my mind. And I feel like inside of every single one of us, there's the spirit of God that it, it remembers. There is this remembering inside of us of what it was like before the fall. And it's that when Paul said this, like this God, this, this whole that only he can fulfill, it's like this inside longing in us that remembered what it was like before Adam and Eve ate that tree. And that longing can only be satisfied. And it's almost like the world and all of its temptations and the enemy wants to put everything, wants to quiet that voice inside of us that says that there was a time before the fall. Don't think about that. Shut that down. Fulfill it with something else. Just whatever you do, don't listen to that piece of you that remembers, that longs, for unbroken fellowship with God. And I was sitting there in my worship, I was like, there was like a piece of me and a piece of every human being. It's a piece of you, a part of you, your spirit that knows what it was like before anything got in the way. And for those of us who are saved, those of us who have experienced the love of Christ those of us who are rooted, those of us who are established, those of us whose foundation is love, that part of us has now been satisfied because we have found that through Christ, even better than before the garden has been established. (laughs) And I believe it is the lack of understanding of that is what leads to the lack of exuberant praise in our lives. I believe it's the lack of understanding of what that means causes us to allow the world to outjoy us. I think it's the lack of understanding of that that allows the Super Bowl to out-attend us. If we really knew, we really understood, which I believe the heart of God is for us to have that in the heart of the very real enemy is to keep you distracted from that, we would see a church alive, not because of our striving, not because of our, I mean, how perfect was that second song that Khalil led? How beautiful and powerful was that? Not through striving, not through performing, but by simply believing that what Jesus did was once and it was for all. And you can take it to the bank. And the enemy wants you to look at something or someone other than Jesus because as soon as you start to do that, he starts to rob you of your God-given assignment to praise, to worship, to adore, to tell of his wonderful works. I want to... Establish something today. I feel like the Lord showed me talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this is a different kind of message for me. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to try to unpack what I feel like the Lord wants to show us about knowing His love, about being rooted in His love, being established in His love, and as we've heard several times, to know the love of Christ, right? And that knowing we have heard over and over again is more than just, I have some mental understanding. But before we can get there, I feel like there's something that is interesting to point out from Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to be at Genesis chapter 2. This is a very obviously familiar scripture, but it was just so cool. One of the ways that the Lord speaks to me uh, is taking walks with the Lord. It's very uncomplicated. (laughs) I put on my shoes, and I walk for a while. And my whole intention of that walk is just to hear the Lord. The Lord's always with us, and the Lord's always speaking. But how many of you know, you hear a little bit more when you're intentional about hearing? (laughs) Sometimes he's just so good, he'll just interrupt you and shake you a little bit. But I believe, I. uh, so I was walking the other day, and I just started having this thought. Actually, I might even read that from my journal. But first, let's read the scripture. In verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge. I want to focus on the word knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. The no, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat from it, you will surely die. As I'm walking with the Lord that day, he began to unpack to me the greatest enemy, the greatest hurdle that we have in experiencing and knowing, we're going to read in Ephesians, knowing the love of Christ is the fact, Is the, pro- the problem is that we know good and evil. Ever since Adam and Eve fell, they got this knowledge of good and evil and they so graciously passed it on to their children and their children and to us. And all of a sudden, we all are born with this resistance to knowing the love of Christ and it's called the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord started showing me this and I believe... It made sense, and I'm going to try to read my journal real quick, too, from that area. This is what I wrote, if I can find it. I encourage you all, journal. The Lord will speak through that thing. He, I found out a lot of times that the Lord will speak to me and, and show me things in a season that I don't need it, but to prepare me for the season that I am going to need it. So sometimes you might be getting some stuff, and you're like, I don't really understand what this is for, but there it is. You'll realize, oh, my gosh, the Lord gave me that a month ago because he knew I was going to walk through this next month, or the Lord gave me that then. And it's almost like it wouldn't have been... This is a side trail. It's like what the Lord gives us is like it comes in seed form. It's almost like it needed to take some roots so that when the thing came, I actually had something established with that word. So I encourage you, when God gives you something, don't think, well, if it doesn't immediately fit right now, I'm just going to flush it. No, he gave you a seed so that you could cultivate it. You could pray into it. You could declare it. You could hold on to it. You could get some roots in that thing. So that when the thing does come, that the seed was meant to hold you, bring you through, you actually have something to sustain you and you're not going to get knocked over easily. Does that make sense? I've experienced that over and over and over again. So don't discount it just because you feel like it's not for right now. I guarantee you it is for you when the Lord gives you stuff. So write it down. So this is what I wrote in my journal. This is kind of what what I've gotten, what kind of got me on this journey. Yesterday I took an intentional walk to spend some time to the Lord, I'm so deep, right? Like <laughs> this is a little journal, a little entry. Almost instantly the the Lord directed my mind to the word knowledge. I began to understand that the greatest rival to us entering into the knowledge, the knowing of Christ experientially is the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God told Adam and Eve if they were to eat from the tree from the knowledge of good and evil that they would surely die. And then we also read in Romans where it says that the wages of sin is death. It's interesting. And then I got to, be, to be, begin thinking that there was a really scandalous time when Jesus said, "Unless you eat my blood and eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you will have no eternal life in you." So I was like, "What in the world?" There's a lot of eating going on. Adam and Eve ate. And brought death. And Jesus is saying, unless you eat me, you'll never have eternal life. And we all know Jesus to be the tree of life. So back to the football analogy. And this is, i wrap this thing up early today. But I just really wanted to present this love of God from a different perspective that I think is going to help our church understand the importance of the word that he gave us. Being rooted and grounded, being established in love. The Ravens were playing football again. Let me give you a little synopsis. After the Ravens beat the 49ers, they wound up losing, and now the 49ers are in the Super Bowl today. So they are the enemy that came back and established (laughs) dominance that the enemies of God don't have the opportunity to do. They're done. and Death is done once and for all. Amen. So anyway, the Ravens are going on. They're about to be at the game where they would be, in the Super Bowl going against Joel and Heidi's precious 49ers. And it's a big game for the Ravens. We were the favorites to win the game. We had the better defense. We had the better offense. We had home field advantage. Everybody, all the all the people picked the Ravens to beat the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs are good, the Ravens were just better at home. And I'm watching an announcer and this interview stuck with me. They asked him the question, how can the Ravens, what would happen if the Ravens, how would the Ravens lose this game was the question. And his answer was so amazing to me. He said, the way the Ravens will lose this game is if they get behind and they start trying not to lose instead of winning. He said if, they, if, they get, if the Chiefs get ahead of them, something will happen. And he started to describe this thing that happens in, a, in athletes where this subtle shift takes place where they start focusing on not losing instead of focusing on winning. It's very subtle. It almost sounds like they're synonymous but there is a major shift that takes place. And he began to say, because when you play from behind, you start to, in essence, strive. You start to do things. You start to do things differently than you did. You start to abort the plan that got you here, and you start trying to do other things when you're thinking about not losing versus when you're trying to win. And I'm like, oh, man, Lord, Lord, You are speaking to me right now, and there is this play, the play that it's. I'm gonna need deliverance because it keeps it keeps on taunting me (laughs) as I see our number one wide receiver. He's getting the ball. He's he's completed the first down, so he has a whole new set of downs already. But they're behind, and instead of just taking the hit. And being right there on the two-yard line, for those of you who don't understand football, talk to somebody who does. I'm sorry if I'm losing you. But you could have taken the hit, be right there on the two-yard line, and we could have just rushed it in for a very easy touchdown. But, oh, Zay Flowers didn't do that. Instead of taking the hit, Zay Flowers, I believe, was thinking about not losing you know, taking, instead of taking the he, he tries to do a little extra something. He tries to reach out that extra two yards to get the ball into the end zone. And before it crosses the end zone line, a defender smacks it out of his hands. It goes into the end zone without him touching it, which means they don't get any points, which means the Chiefs actually get the ball and we get nothing And I believe that play lost the game for us. I know you can't boil it down to one, but I believe Zay was trying to make something happen because he looked at the scoreboard and it said that they were down. And instead of trying to win the game, he was trying to not lose the game. What in the world is Josh giving us his football lecture for? I believe... There's much of the church, there's much of the sons and daughters of God who have lost the vision of winning and we live our lives tormented with this enemy thought of not losing. We are so... We've become fear-focused. We've become sin-focused. We've become anxious. We've become worried. We've become bogged down, and it's enemy this, enemy that, da-da-da-da. And we are playing to not lose instead of what God has given us, the ability. We have the ball. We have already won. We're going to read in Romans where it says we're not only conquerors, but we are exceedingly more than conquerors. We're not living like more than conquerors. We're living like people trying not to lose. And when we live that way, it always opens the door for us to begin to strive. It opens the door for us to live outside of love, to live outside of grace, and to live inside of earn. I don't mean earn like an urn that you put ashes in. I mean like the E-A-R-N. For the, the opposite of grace, I believe, is earn. As soon as I, I believe that when we are trying not to lose, we are trying to earn. Our eyes are off of the one who has given us the victory. And the way that the Lord brought this whole full full circle to me was when we're living in one of the two camps, when we're living out of the knowledge of good and evil, I believe when we live out of that knowledge, we're living as people who are trying to not lose. Oh, that's good. I I mean, I got to get, that's good. I need more of that. That's bad. I got to stay away from that. Good, bad. You're always looking at good. You're always looking at bad. You're always looking at yourself. Good, bad self, good, bad self, good, bad. I mean, that is the curse. What is the very first thing that happened when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit? They looked inward, they stopped experiencing the love of God. And they began living life. See, the word knowledge isn't gaining more and more information. The biblical word, and this is going to send you guys on a long rabbit trail, and if you're like me, you love good theological rabbit trails. The word knowledge there is D-A-A-T. And there's a little squiggly in between the two A's or, or somewhere. But it is not a knowledge. It is literally it, their perception changed. The knowledge there was a, their, their whole perception, their whole world view, their consciousness. They have a new consciousness now. That word knowledge is you have now been given a consciousness that is aware of good and evil. What in the world was their consciousness before? Unbroken love of the Father. The love of God was the consciousness of Adam and Eve. And I believe if Enoch and Adam really talked, Adam would have been like, bro, it's like all I knew before that fruit was like pure love. I didn't, even, I, didn't even, I didn't even know what naked was, bro. What? How can you not know it? I don't know. But I didn't. And all of a sudden, I did. And all of a sudden, there was a new consciousness that took place. And like I said before, every single one of us, every son and daughter was now born with a knowledge of good and evil consciousness. And yet there was still something in us saying, this isn't what I was made for. I wasn't made to live with this consciousness. And we see throughout the Old Testament, the law coming in and all that did was drive home that sin consciousness that good that bad consciousness more and more and more it used different language it used the idea of clean and unclean whoa go go down that for a while all of a sudden clean and unclean is a thing touchable and untouchable is a thing the law only magnified what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil produced in them and magnified this good and evil until until Jesus came. And I believe it's so important for us to be rooted and grounded in the love of God because when we experience the love of Christ, when we have this knowledge of his love, we're going to read in Ephesians Three, I believe this is Paul Noble's favorite verse on the planet. Is it your favorite? It's one of the favorites. It's interesting to me that they use the word. This, is, this was part of my walk again. I'm back to my walk. It was interesting to me. The Lord was showing me knowledge of tree of good and evil, knowledge of the love of Christ, that you would know the love of Christ. Oh, but there was this knowing of the tree. Why are these, these two knowledges are literally fighting each other? There is a fight going on, and it's not for you to get more knowledge. It is a fight for your literal consciousness. It is a fight that your mind would have a new foundational consciousness, a new perspective. The same way that the tree of knowledge of good and evil changed the perspective of Adam and Eve and all their children, the love of Christ will change your perspective. It'll give you a new consciousness. And that's why I believe when we have that consciousness, we are no longer trying not to lose. Let's read Ephesians 3. We're going to read 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and two here's the word again to know and to know i be, to to allow love cuz it's interesting it's going to say know and then it's going to say surpasses knowledge those are two different words those are two different words that makes, it's it's profound, and I don't have time to go into that right now, but that is, the first one is the same knowing that actually changes. You have a consciousness. You have a love consciousness. You are shaped by this agape of love, and I, I want to read that too. Don't let me forget that. I, I read something about agape. That was amazing, but again, it's that battle. It's a fight against the two knowledges. Will we allow our lives to be shaped by this, oh, that's good, that's bad, oh, I need to protest that people, and I, oh, I need to support these people, and ugh, that's all fine and good, but when we live there, mm, we're not living, we're not truly living, in what, because at the end of the day, the people that you're supposed to picket are the people that you're supposed to love. The people that you support are the people that you're supposed to love. <laughs> The people that are your friends are the people you're supposed to love. The people that are your enemies are the people you're supposed to love. Changes everything. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Why is it so important that love shape our consciousness? Without that consciousness, we will never walk in the fullness of God. If our consciousness is only shaped by the knowledge of good and evil, we will never experience the fullness of God. If we live day in, day out trying not to sin, we will never experience the fullness of God. And actually, if we live our whole lives trying not to sin and never experience the fullness of God, we are doomed to never live a life that we don't sin because it is that power of love that actually empowers us to live righteously. It is his spirit. You will never succeed in striving to not sin. The fullness of God Found in the love of Christ is the only chance that you and I have to have victory over sin. But what if I mess up? Repent and remind yourself of who you really are in Christ. That's not who I am. But I did. it doesn't matter what you did. You got to take a look at Jesus. What did he do? But how about, that's what repent is. Repent is literally re, somebody say it's like re-getting back on top, reminding yourself that how you just acted is contrary to who you are. The grace of God will always remind you, the love of God will always remind you that that behavior is not who you are. The shame of the enemy will always tell you that that behavior is who you are the love of God will always remind you that when you act out of character, that that is not who you are. But the shame of the enemy will always say that that thing that you did that was wrong, that is who you are. And it keeps you looking at, it keeps you back in that place of trying not to lose, trying not to lose, trying not to lose, when you've already been given the victory. I believe the essence of salvation is more than our sins being forgiven. Was that, what, was it, what did John say? Behold the Lamb of God who comes to forgive the sins of the world. Is that what he says? He doesn't say forgive. He says he comes to take away. <laughs> Somehow, temporarily, through the sacrifice of bulls, goats, pigeons, and all kinds of other things, There was this satisfying. But when Jesus came, he was the lamb who didn't just forgive sin. He is the lamb who takes your sin away. And you have a very real enemy that wants to undermine the lamb who took away your sin and get you to think, well, how could that really be? Look at what you just did. Well, how are you thinking? Oh, man, I know what you're thinking. I know how you're doing. And he starts getting you in that trap. Get you in that trap. And now you're back into this, okay, I need forgiveness again. I need forgiveness. No, he took away my sin. And when I do that thing, there is this thing inside of me. It's almost too good to be true. It's almost too good to be true that the Father would say, that is not who you are. Your identity as as Jesus' identity was my beloved son. I love in the name, beloved is actually your job. Be loved. In the title of Jesus that the Father gave him. My this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In the title, isn't that interesting? Back in the day, like people's titles also like their last names had to go along with their their um. Uh, what you call it, their career, their, their thing, like blacksmith would like do something with metal or something, or I don't know, you can go through it, but I read that somewhere, like people's last names a lot of times derived from their job, and I love that the father says, this is my beloved son, and his job was to be loved, and he calls you beloved son. He calls you beloved daughter. And your job is not to be striving. Your job is not to be performing. Your job is to be loved. And when we live in that consciousness, we're no longer acting like Zay Flowers trying to strive to make something happen at the end zone. We're living daily in the confident, sure-footed assurance of love. The love that knows you better than you know yourself. I'm talking about love personified. I'm talking about the person of love. I'm talking about God is love. And love knows you better than you know yourself. The Love knows you on your best day. Love knows you on your worst day. Love sees every thought. How many times did Jesus answer people's thoughts in the New Testament? I know that's scary, but I want you to realize that the essence of love is of godly love is the value of the character of the power of the one who is giving the love, not the one who is receiving it. He placed that value in us. You have to wrestle with that. You have to wrestle with that in faith that he knows everything about you and he loves you. He knows you better than you know yourself and he loves you better than you love yourself. He loves you more than your mama. He loves you more than your dad. He loves you more than your husband. He loves you more than your wife. He loves you more than anyone. Why is that so important for us? I want to read, I'm going to close this out by reading Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39. I did want to remember something here. When I'm reading John 3:16 it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish or die and as I was thinking about that it basically is saying whoever believes in him will no longer suffer the fate of those who live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you will surely die when you do that tree when you believe And you've experienced, why did he send his son? Because God so loved. Because of love, he sent. And through love and through the sending and by us believing, we no longer suffer the fate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We get to celebrate the victory of another tree. (laughs) This is what is happening, y'all. This has happened. I'm telling you, this has happened. By faith, this has happened. In Christ, this has happened. By believing, this has happened. And I know it's so hard because you know you. <laughs> and I know me. Can I confess something? This is funny. I'm seeing John look at me and it made me think of a funny story. The other week... The other week, I got an email from Jesse. And it was like the new podcast is out or you can go to this link to check out our YouTube page. Oh man. This is so funny now cuz this is embarrassing but I think it's it's awesome because love showed me another way. And you know what thought came into my mind when I went to that YouTube link? Cuz I saw the link and I saw how many views that particular message got. Y'all know where this is going? Maybe. I started, well, I know what Sunday I preached. I'm going to go back and see how many views I got. (laughs) I went back to September, (laughs) y'all. I was, oh man, and there were some that got some, a good amount of views for our church size, and there were some that didn't, and everyone that got a lot, I'm like, whoo, I must have been good that day, and the ones that got low, I was like, oh man, God, I must have missed it that day, where am I at? I'm in that, I am not living in the consciousness of love, I have allowed that little thing to creep in there to make me not want to lose Instead of living in victory, I don't care how many views I've got. I am sure my foundation, my sure-footed life has nothing to do with how anointed I was that particular Sunday. And the enemy was trying to get me into that, trying to get me to look, trying to get me to get my identity and being a good, well-viewed preacher. And I'm only talking like 55 or 75 views. It's nothing at all, y'all. This is very little. It's crazy what the enemy will do. To get your eyes off of love. Anywhere I am deficient in love, I'm going to try to find it somewhere else. I was literally trying to find this sense of validation by views on YouTube. I know it's ridiculous when I say it out loud and I can say it with a smile because I've repented. And I know better now than I did then. How much he loves me. And his love is what validates me. He saw me scrolling. (laughs) He saw me scrolling. He knows my thoughts. And he's always, always, always reminding us that that scrolling is not who you are. I didn't create you to scroll for validation. I created you to receive validation by being beloved. (laughs) that will get you excited. That will drive out some fear because I believe a lot of the fear that we have is because we need that validation or that acceptance from that person. But when I am absolutely established in love, man, I can care about you without caring about what you think about me. I can serve you without being a slave to you. When love is our master, we can serve this world so powerfully. But if love isn't our master, then this world will become our slave master. And we will no longer serve them, but we will become a slave to every single one of their opinions. That just makes me want to smile. It really does. It really does make me want to smile. I'm I'm smiling. It it makes me smile. I'm done done wanting to smile. I'm smiling. I am smiling. I'm done wanting to rejoice. I'm rejoicing. I'm done wanting to be free. I am free, and I am not going to make any apologies for it. I'm not going to make it. And the more I get a hold of this, the more offensive I might become, and the more loud I might be, and the more, I don't know, annoying even. That's okay. You thinking I'm annoying doesn't mean anything to me in the sense that I know who I am. And my job is to be loved. My job is to not be patted on the back. My job is to be loved. My job is not to be liked on Facebook, YouTube, or social media. My job is to be loved. My job is not to have a bunch of friends and a pedestal and a bunch of money. My job is to be loved. I love Chris Valtz Court quote I heard years ago. He said, when it comes to your job, do for love what you used to do for money. It'll change everything. It'll absolutely change everything. I had a note I was going to, y'all were supposed to remind me about agape, but you didn't. But I remind, the Lord reminded me. I saw this cool thing about agape. Agape speaks of a love, which is, and by the way, agape is the word that is used on uh, how God loves us. I'm kind of answering that question. What does it mean to be loved by God? I kind of touched on that a little bit. He knows you. He knows you. I love my, my kids are singing this fun song. Uh, for, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. For It's great. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. <laughs> he formed your inward He knows you. He knows you. For I am fearfully and what? No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a, if my kids are here right now. They'd probably start singing it with me, or they'd probably be face palming and saying, "My dad's embarrassing." <laughs> I don't know which one it would be. Um, they're at that age. Anyway, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm rabbit trail. Here's agape, y'all. Here he is. Speaks of a love which is awakened by a sense of value in an object, which causes one to prize it. Agape speaks of a love which is awakened by a sense of value in an object which causes one to prize it. I love uh, a guy named Dan Moeller. If you don't know Dan Moeller, he has this amazing teaching about a car. And he says, somebody is not willing to pay for something more than it's worth. If I'm bringing Lonnie's 1992 Toyota Camry, what, I'm not going to get 50,000 dollars. Nobody's willing to pay 50,000 dollars for a 1992 Toyota Camry with 200,000 miles on it. You will pay <laughs> It's even older than, It's even older than 92. <laughs> he gives this great example, and he says, the, the value of something is found in how much someone's willing to pay for it. And what did God pay for you? What did God pay for you? You can walk around with this, I'm just shining, and I'm just this, 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 and this. And all the while, God is saying, I paid the highest price that has ever been paid for anything or anyone in all of history for you. How dare you say that I'm worthless. When you say, when I say that I'm worthless, I'm basically raising my fist to God and say, what you paid for me doesn't determine my value. And that's what the enemy wants you to believe. The enemy wants you to believe that you're worthless. And somehow the love of God on the cross of Christ was... In no way indicative of the love that he feels for you, but some deep down obligation to begrudgingly redeem all of humanity. I encourage you to repent of that way of thinking and know that he values you because the price he paid for you reveals your worth to him. That's agape. Agape determines the worth, not the person being bought. The object being bought doesn't determine the worth. The value of the one buying it, how much does that mean to you? How much do we mean to him that he was willing to pay for us? That's love. Yet, while we were still sinners. All right, let's read Romans chapter 8 together i'm gonna i'm gonna spice it up y'all I have loved reading the passion translation this first particular it's gonna be a little bit longer you're probably not gonna be able to follow along but hold on i'm gonna read this to you though and just maybe just receive this um this is if you want to put that down in your notes romans eight thirty one through thirty nine i'm gonna read The title of this section, they call it The Triumph of God's Love. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? (laughs) The Triumph of God's Love. So what does all this mean? Actually, I'm going to pray first. Holy Spirit, as I read this today, we invite you to make us aware of the price that was paid. The love that was lavished and the identity as beloved sons and beloved daughters that would come from this. I invite you, Holy Spirit. So what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure. The gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? Hear that one more time. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued the final verdict over them, not guilty. When then, I'm sorry, who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted and enthroned by God at the right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us, since he is continually praying for our triumph? Who could ever divorce us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivation, dangers, and death? No, for they are all impotent to hinder the omnipotent love. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet, even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his love demonstrated is our glorious victory over everything. How many of you all knew that that scripture, that we are more than conquerors, was associated with God's love? (laughs) More than conquerors and his love demonstrated is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe. There is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will still triumph over death, love's troubles, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or our future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above or beneath us. No power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. This is why I believe this is why God said, You got to be grounded in love, Morningstar Wilmington. Unless you are grounded in love, you are not walking in your mandate to be more than conquerors. Unless you are grounded in love, you are not walking and have no chance whatsoever to come to the fullness of God. Unless you are walking in love, you will live life trying to not lose instead of standing triumphantly. In love's victory. This is your Monday. This is your Tuesday. This is your best day. This is your worst day. This is you when you're up. This is when you're down. This is with you in sickness. This is with you in health. He has married us. And he says in sickness and in health. And I can say all these words. But unless we begin, I don't know what this looks like. For me, sometimes it's just a straight-up wrestling match with my mind. Sometimes it's just a straight-up wrestling match with my soul. To say, no, this is who he says I am. This is who he says I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. I am the beloved and that's what it means to be rooted, to be established. When you, it's so interesting, when you were born again, I love that phrase, you're born again. It's like all of a sudden, all the old root systems come out and you are being replanted into a place where now your love roots get to go down. Before, it was like the knowledge of good and evil was what was rooted. We were rooted and established in the knowledge of good and evil, but all of a sudden, we're born again and now our roots are going down and now we're rooted and established in love. That is salvation, y'all. That is the essence of our salvation. He took away your sin. For the sake of time, I want us to stand together and I just want us to pray. I just want us to pray to be sure this week will be filled with opportunities for you to scroll like I did on YouTube. I promise you that. This will will be filled with opportunities for you to try to maybe validate something in you that only the love of God can. But I want us to mark down right now in history, I am determined that I will allow the love of God and the love of God alone to validate me as a son and as a daughter. Teenagers, young adults, if you're not married yet, that is the best thing that you can do for your future husband and wife is to allow yourself to be completely and absolutely validated by the voice of God. That is the only way a marriage can be successful is when a man knows that he is a beloved son and a daughter knows that she is a beloved daughter and they don't need something from each other to try to validate that thing. It is two whole people coming together to make one whole marriage. Jerry Maguire got it wrong, y'all. That person does not complete you. The Lord Jesus completes you. And when you're complete and when she's complete and you come together, you make a complete marriage. It's the best thing you can do, is allow that. And if, if you're not there, fight for it. Lord, I want to live in the reality that I am your beloved. I don't need her, I don't need him to communicate belovedness to me. Your son on the cross communicates all the belovedness that I could possibly ever need for all of my life. When I look into the eyes of God, I feel that, I sense that I know. I know my worth. I know my worth. Nothing and no one can take away that worth from me. I believe that is why we read about people who are, who are martyred. As Joel was saying here, there's people that are being martyred because they found their worth and they love the validation. They love the presence. They love God more than they love their own lives. So I just encourage us this morning to declare this. I, Lord Jesus, will not allow anything to validate me but your love. Your love and your love alone is my validation. Your love and your love alone is the nutrients that my spirit and my soul and even my flesh long for. We cry out for you, Lord. We will never outgrow. We will never mature to a place where we say we don't need your love anymore. We've got it on our own. We will never outgrow that. Actually, maturity, as we mature, we will realize more and more and more how much we absolutely need to be bathed and aware and filled and full of his love. The older we get, and the more mature in him we get. We will never outgrow this, Lord. We will never outgrow this. And we repent forever thinking that there was something that we could do other than be loved. And Lord, as we stand in this place, I will not allow ministry. I will not allow the, the, the lie that ministry is somehow going to validate me. Absolutely not. I repent of that thinking. I repent of striving because there's something in me doing for you, God. I repent of trying to do things for you when all along you said, I want to do this with you, my beloved. I want to do this with you, son. I want to do this with you. Stop all the doing for me, and let's be together. Let's do this together.